Amen. Well, 5.30, are we good? Yes? Man, I, I love baptism. What a great picture of what it is we're here to celebrate uh, tonight, man, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and what it accomplishes in the lives of those who truly trust in him as Savior and Lord. So, man, I, I love those stories. Well, um, I want you to grab your Bibles if you have them um, or if you have a device with a Bible app on it, grab it. And let's go to Luke chapter 24 together. Luke chapter 24. And as you're flipping there, let me just wish you all a happy Easter weekend. Uh, there is not a bigger weekend of the year for us as Christians than Easter weekend. Uh, there's not a more important day than, uh, than what we celebrate tomorrow on Easter. It's the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who as Christians is our God, our Savior, and our Lord. Now, the Bible tells us if what we celebrate tomorrow isn't true, then we as Christians, man, people should feel sorry for us, right? Like they should look at us and pity us because really what we've done is bought into nothing more than senseless and ridiculous lies. And if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, then we're all wasting our time here tonight, right? Um, so here's what I want to say to all of us. I don't know what you believe about Jesus, like maybe you're new to this whole God church thing and you came tonight with a friend or a family member and you came in and maybe you don't even know what you believe about Jesus tonight. Um, here's all I want to say to, to us as we kind of get started. No matter what it is we believe about him, I think there are a couple of things concerning him that we can all agree on, okay? Um, first thing is this. I think we could all agree tonight that there has never been a more famous person that has ever lived on the face of the planet other than Jesus Christ, right? I mean, Jesus, you think about him, there have been more books written about him, more songs sung to him, more presentations made about him than anybody on the face of the earth. Uh, you think about his, his, uh, his birth and what we're celebrating this weekend, his death and resurrection, our two biggest holidays of the year revolve around him. The calendar that you and I use every day revolves around his birth. Jesus Christ is someone who every single week, billions of people gather together to celebrate and to worship as God. So I would say that's pretty famous, right? Now, I think we could also agree, though, that there has never been a more controversial person that has ever lived on the face of the earth other than Jesus Christ. I mean, to show up on the earth and to claim that you're God, like that's pretty controversial, um, to claim that you're going to give your life for the sins of the world and spend a couple of days in the ground and then come back to life to defeat sin, death, and hell for anybody that would trust in you, to say that you are the one way to know God and eternal life. Listen, that is very, very controversial. And so if you're here tonight, and again, you're, you're maybe new, you're a guest, and what I just said about Jesus, like that stuff is really, really hard for you to believe. Maybe you might label yourself a skeptic or an unbeliever, whatever it is. Here's just what I want to say to you. Like, I get it, all right? I get it. I get that what we're here to celebrate tonight seems insane and it seems crazy. Like, I get and I agree with you that it defies common sense, it defies natural law, it defies medicine, it defies our own personal experiences with death, doesn't it? I mean, to believe that a man could be violently tortured, killed, put in a tomb, and then walk out fully alive a few days later, it sounds absolutely crazy. 
Now, I also want to say to you as well, if you're here tonight as a skeptic, um, you're in good company, all right? You're not alone. The closest friends and followers of Jesus Christ, they were skeptics about the news of the resurrection of Jesus when they first heard it as well. Like when the women who went to the empty tomb of Jesus on that Sunday morning came back to them and said, he's alive, you know how they responded? They responded with disbelief. They responded as skeptics. They thought that these ladies were lying to them. And I want to jump into Luke chapter 24, and we'll pick up in verse 1, and I'll show you what I'm talking about, all right? Here's what the Bible says. Luke 24, starting in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, these were the women who saw the empty tomb before anybody else, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They were going to preserve the dead body of Jesus. But when they got there, the Bible says they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he's risen. Let me stop for just a moment and say, this is a weird passage of Scripture. I mean, it is. These ladies... They go to the tomb of Jesus. Their plan, we're going to preserve his body. They show up. They're standing in an empty tomb in a graveyard. And two men in dazzling apparel, who we know from other gospel accounts in the scriptures, were angels. They show up and they say, what are you doing here? Why are you looking for a living guy among the dead? I mean, these ladies get scared. You'd be scared too, right? If you're standing in the middle of a graveyard and two supernatural beings appear out of nowhere and start talking to you. That's Twilight Zone kind of stuff. And so these ladies are freaking out. And and these angels say, why are you looking for a guy who's alive in a graveyard? Right? I mean, why are you? I mean, that's a weird question. These ladies saw Jesus die on Friday. They saw his body be carried away from the cross. They saw him laid in this tomb in their minds, he's dead. And we keep reading these angels say, man, he, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? You guys have those people in your lives who you say one thing to and it goes in one ear and out the other? You know who I'm talking about? Like, don't point, don't elbow your kid or smack your husband or wife. You guys have them, right? Jesus had these kind of people in his life as well. If you go back to Luke chapter 9, Luke 18, on more than one occasion, Jesus told his friends and followers that he was going to be arrested, he was going to be killed, and then a couple days later he was going to rise again from the dead. He told them this. And these angels, as they talk to the women, they're saying, don't you remember he told you he was going to do this? And these ladies respond, and they remembered his words. It's kind of one of those moments where the light bulbs went off, and they went, now that you mention it, we do remember him saying something about dying and coming back to life. And so what did they do next? They returned from the tomb, and they went back to the 11 disciples and to all the rest of the followers of Jesus. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with him who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them what? an idle tale, and they did not believe him. So these ladies show up, and the disciples and the other followers are going, you ladies are nuts. You are out of your mind. Quit lying to us. This is absolutely crazy. So again, if you're here, and you can identify with the disciples of Jesus in being that skeptic, being that person who hears 
Jesus is God. He died, but he rose again three days later to defeat sin, death, and hell. You hear that and you go, that's dumb. Like, I can't believe, that's too hard to believe. Again, I want to say to you, I get it, I get it. It's like us today maybe hearing the story of some famous person being killed or put to death, and a few days later, a bunch of people saying they hung out with him in Starbucks, right? I mean, we'd see that story on the news, and we'd shrug it off, and we wouldn't believe it, and we'd go about our business. And so if you're here tonight as a skeptic, as somebody who, man, is trying to figure this Jesus thing out, um, there's a question that I want to answer for us before we keep going. I also want to say this. If you're here tonight as a Christian and you believe in Jesus and you believe that Jesus did die and he did rise again, but you have no idea why you believe it, this is for you as well. I want you to take some notes, write this down. You need to know why you believe what you believe, okay? So here's the question. How can we trust that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened? How can you and I walk away and actually believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead like he said he would? Um, There's a lot of evidences that we could point to, but for the sake of time tonight, I wanna give you five, okay? Um, First is this, eyewitnesses. Do you know that after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that hundreds and hundreds of people claimed to see him alive again? I mean, and and you don't just have to read about this in the scriptures. You can go read ancient Jewish historians who weren't followers of Jesus, ancient philosophers who were alive during the time of Jesus writing and saying, all these people, hundreds of them who say they follow Jesus, they're claiming to see him alive again. So listen, I want you to know that Christianity is not some belief system born out of a couple of backwood morons sitting on the porch trying to think up a good lie to dupe the world, right? Christianity is born out of the eyewitness account of hundreds and hundreds of people who saw Jesus very much alive again three days after he died. Um, The next evidence is this is his friends. You know that at the arrest and the death of Jesus, his closest followers and friends abandoned him. They ran out of fear for their own lives. They believed if they stuck around, that they were going to be arrested and killed just like Jesus was killed. And so they ran and they hid. Um, Here's the crazy thing. A few days later, these men became some of the most courageous men the world's ever known. They went from being a bunch of cowardly men, scared to die, to a bunch of courageous men, very willing to lay down their lives for the sake of Jesus. And do you know why that was? It was because they saw Jesus killed on a Friday, and then on Sunday, he stood before them alive again, and it sent their lives in a new direction. Um, We also see evidence of the truth of the resurrection in the family of Jesus. Do you know, and and for some of us, I'm going to say this, This right here I'm about to share with you, it's going to be the only proof some of you need. Do you know that after the resurrection of Jesus, his very own family worshipped him as God? His mom, his brothers, his cousins worshipped him as God, Savior, and Lord. Again, some of us in here, like our families are so jacked up, it would take one of our family members literally dying and coming back from the dead for us to even consider worshiping them as God. But after Jesus rose from the dead, we see his family becoming some of his most devoted followers. But not only his family, his enemies. Do you know some of Jesus' fiercest enemies and opponents became some of his most devoted followers after his resurrection? Men that helped in his crucifixion followed him. Men that opposed him strongly while he was alive on the earth became some of the greatest lovers of Jesus the world's ever known. Um, You can look at a guy like Paul in the scriptures 
who went from killing Christians to becoming a Christian because he had an experience with the resurrected Jesus, and he has more to do with the spread of Christianity in our world than anybody else that's ever lived. I mean, this points to the truth that Jesus is alive, and finally, his tomb. And you know Jesus' tomb is empty today. I've been there, I've stood in the tomb in the garden in the middle of Israel. I've walked inside. I've seen the place where the body of Jesus laid. I've seen the sign hanging on the door that says he is not here for he's risen. His tomb is empty today, church. And I know that there are people out there that would argue about why his tomb is empty. Some people would say, you know what, we're just looking in the wrong tomb. Um, The reason Jesus' body isn't there is because it's not really his tomb. Uh, I'm going to try not to offend people, but... uh, Maybe if you're offended, it's okay. That's just dumb, okay? Um, here's why. Because during this time, everybody knew where Jesus was buried. I mean, his tomb was donated by a rich man named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. Everybody knew this guy. They knew where his tomb was. The Roman government put Roman soldiers outside of his tomb to guard it. You knew what Jesus' tomb looked like, where it was. The Bible tells us that the disciples and these women that went to visit Jesus' tomb in the scriptures, they went to the exact place where they saw Jesus' body taken after his death. If he didn't rise from the dead, his body would have been very, very easy to produce. Everybody knew where his tomb was. There's other people that would suggest that the disciples stole the body of Jesus out of his tomb. Again, that's just crazy. Remember, the disciples are hiding for their lives. Cowardly men. The last thing that they were going to do is go pick a fight with armed Roman soldiers and try to steal the body of Jesus, right? They were worried about dying. They were going to put their life on the line to get the dead body of Jesus. And then lastly, and this is kind of the most idiotic argument, okay? I'll just be honest. Lastly, those people that say, well, Jesus didn't really die on the cross, Like they took Jesus up the cross, he had a little bit of life left in him when they put him in the tomb, and that's why the tomb is empty, because he didn't really die. Now, a couple of things, and and I just want to tell you why this is so insane. The Romans specialized in killing people, all right? They were good at what they did. Crucifixion was their forte. And if somebody didn't die quickly enough on a cross, you know what they did? They broke their legs so they would no longer be able to push themselves up for air, and they would suffocate more quickly. They knew how to kill people. But listen to me, to suggest that the Romans put Jesus' body in this tomb and he was undead, that he went into this tomb with a little life left in him and he, he was beat within an inch of his life, body shredded to pieces with this instrument called a cat of nine tails that had balls of lead and glass and bone and rock embedded in it to suggest that he had nails driven through his wrist and his feet, that he went through this whole experience and then he recovered somehow between Friday and and Sunday morning and got up and used the nail-pierced hands to shove the big stone out of the way, snuck past the Roman guards, and walked for seven miles with holes in his feet to where his disciples were hanging out? Listen to me, it takes more faith to believe that than it takes to believe that he's actually alive today. Listen, we could again keep going down the list of evidences, but all the evidences surrounding the empty tomb of Jesus point to one conclusion, and church, here it is. 
It points to the conclusion that Jesus Christ did exactly what he said he was going to do. That he accomplished everything he said he came to this earth to accomplish. That he's the perfect, sinless son of God who laid his life down for the sins of the world so that you and I could know God personally, be restored back to him, be loved by him, forgiven by him, accepted by him. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to conquer sin, death, and hell on our behalf. The empty grave points to the fact that Jesus Christ is alive today and he's ruling and reigning as King, God, Savior, Lord over all of his creation and he'll do so for the rest of eternity. Church, he is alive. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now listen, here's the next thing that we need to talk about and the next question that we need to answer. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened, and I believe it did. I don't know if you can tell I'm convinced, but I believe it did. And we as Christians, we believe it happened. We believe it's historical fact and truth that Jesus rose from the dead. Here's the next question we need to answer. What does it mean for us today? Why does it matter that Jesus Christ is alive? Well, I want to answer this question by going to a passage found in 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, I want us to let this answer that question for us. Here's what Peter says in verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now I'm going to stop there and we're going to read more of that passage in a moment. But first, what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us? It means that every single one of us in the room tonight, it means that you and I can know hope in life because Jesus Christ is alive today. This is what Peter tells us. Because Jesus has been risen from the dead, you and I can have a living hope. We can know hope as long as we're alive here on the earth. Now, here's why we can know hope. Listen to me. Don't miss this. We can know hope in this life because the resurrection of Jesus proves to us that there is no life beyond repair. The resurrection of Jesus proves to us we can have hope in this life because we have a God who loves to breathe brand new life into hopeless, helpless people, into hopeless and helpless situations. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus proves to us that we have a God who does not do dead ends. That's why you can have hope in this life. And I'll go back to the disciples and explain this for us, okay? I want you to think about these men with me. These guys left everything to follow Jesus, everything, all right? These guys gave up three years of their lives. They left careers, they left families, they left possessions, they left money to go and to follow Jesus and to be a part of what he was doing in the world. These guys called Jesus their leader, their rabbi. These guys called Jesus their God. And we have to believe from what we see in the scriptures that after Jesus was arrested and put to death, that these men came to a place where they feel like they had hit a dead end. I mean, these men felt very hopeless, very helpless. There's a part of me that wonders, you know, during this time where these men were hiding out, fearing for their lives, like if they wondered, do our lives really matter anymore? Like, I, I wonder if they sat there in that room, wherever they were, just thinking to themselves, does anything that we've done over the past three years alongside Jesus, does it matter? Did it make a difference? 
I imagine these men, when they thought about their futures, man, that they felt hopeless, that they felt scared. What were they going to go back to, man? Were they going to be killed just like Jesus was? And listen, I just assume that maybe, just maybe that there are some of us in the room tonight who can identify with how the disciples must have felt after they saw Jesus, their Lord, their Savior, their leader be put to death. Like, I wonder if there are some of us in the room who feel hopeless and helpless when we think about our lives. Man, we wake up each day and we wonder if our lives really matter. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel like you're at a dead end. Like maybe right now you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling with your kids. Maybe there's a secret sin or an addiction that's just got its claws in you and you feel defeated and you feel hopeless and you wonder if anything will ever change in your life. And every day you wake up, man, you don't feel hopeful, you feel hopeless, you feel tired, you desperately want and know that you need change, but you have no idea where to find it. Listen to me, that's you. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know tonight that we have a God who is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. I want you to know that we have a God who is in the business of breathing new life into hopeless, helpless people and their situation. Again, we don't serve a God who does dead ends. Here's what this means for all of us. It means that if you're here tonight and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, like you've never believed that Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago and that he died in your place for your sins so that you could know God and you could experience new life and hope for life in a relationship with God. Listen to me, that's where you have to start. You cannot know hope for life and you cannot know new life apart from Jesus Christ. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that I absolutely love. It's one of my favorites, and um, it, it paints the picture of what I just described to you beautifully. Here's what it says. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is what, church? A new creation. And then he goes on, Paul, and he says, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Have any of you guys ever watched that show, Extreme Home Makeover? Yes, have you? Oh, you can raise your hand in church. It's fine. We're, we're cool here. Don't be scared, okay? You, okay, now, those of you who watched it, how many of you guys cry when you watch it? Come on, be honest. Okay, don't lie to me. All of you guys that watch it cry, okay? I don't care if you're a dude, if you're tough, man. You, you cry. You can't watch that show without crying. Well, what do they do on that show? They don't find a house that needs work and go into that house and redo floors and touch up the walls with new paint, hang new pictures and redo bathrooms, do they? They don't remodel. What do they do? They find a family who needs a new home. They bring in bulldozers, and they knock down the old house completely. They rip it down. They tear it away. It's not, nothing of it is left. And they come in, and they build something new. They build something beautiful. It's a brand new creation. You see, this verse from 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that that's exactly what God wants to do in all of our lives. That God wants to make us 
new people. He doesn't want to remodel us. He doesn't want to try to fix a few things in our lives. He wants to rip the old us out of us completely, and he wants to replace the old us with a brand new us. It means that God wants to rip addictions out of your life. He wants to rip attitudes out of your life like anger and bitterness and pride and jealousy. God wants to take the old you, and he wants to kill it and create a new you in you and give you joy, purpose, meaning, satisfaction, and hope that you have never known before. That's what God wants to do for you. So listen to me. If you don't know Jesus Christ, the one thing that prevents you from experiencing new life in him, God making you a brand new person, is this, your sin. Your sin. It's the one thing that stands in the way. The Bible tells us that our sin our imperfections, our failures, our mistakes, all the times we fail in life, that those things kill us spiritually and our sin separates us from God. And listen to me, don't miss this. Because our sin separates us from God, you know what it separates us from? It separates us from the new life and the hope found in him and in him alone. But listen, here's the good news. That's exactly why Jesus came to the earth over 2,000 years ago. He came to the earth to die in your place for your sin. He came to take all the punishment that your sin required so that you could be forgiven, so that your sin could be removed, and so that you could be restored back to a right relationship with God. And then he rose from the dead three days later to prove that he is stronger than your sin. He is stronger than death. And he did that, again, all in the, 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 the hopes to give you a new life and to make you a new person if you believe in his death and his resurrection and what he's done for you. This is what Christ wants to do in you. And if you've never made that decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, man, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that before you leave tonight. It's where you have to start if you wanna know new life. Now, for those of us in the room who say we know Jesus, for those of us in the room who have prayed and we've accepted Christ and his gift of salvation, what this means for us is this. It means that no matter how hopeless you feel right now, that no matter how helpless you feel right now, that no matter what kind of dead end you feel like you've arrived at, listen to me, listen to me, there's still hope. There's still hope. You're not at a dead end. Listen to me. You are a son of God, a daughter of God. He loves you more than you'll ever comprehend, and he promises to be for you everything that you'll ever need in life. If you know Christ, you never arrive at a dead end in any area of your life, and there's always hope. So that means for those of you in the room who know Christ, but you struggle with a sin or an addiction, listen to me. You are a new person. And that means you don't have to live like the old you anymore. The old you has been put to death and God created a new you in you and you've got to choose to believe that tonight. You've got to choose to believe that Jesus Christ put your sin to death so that sin has no power over you and that he put his very own spirit in you so that you could wake up every day of your life and kill your sin. You are not at a dead end. Choose to live like the new you. It means husbands and wives. If you're here tonight and you're struggling in your marriage, listen to me, you are not at a dead end. 
If both of you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, there is hope for your marriage. But you both have to make a decision to submit your lives to God and to surrender your marriage to God. And I don't care how dead your marriage may seem, God can bring it back to life. You're not at a dead end. You give it to him and let him do what he's in the business of, creating new, beautiful things out of hopeless, helpless, dead things. You're not at a dead end. It means for those of us tonight, man, who struggle with our kids, our, our kids are rebelling. We don't even know if they know Jesus. You better not give up hope when it comes to your kid. Your kid is not at a dead end. You as a parent, man, you don't stop praying. Don't quit loving them well. Don't quit living Jesus out in front of them. And don't give up the belief that God can breathe new life into any person, including your kids. Man, your kid is not at a dead end. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we as his sons and daughters always have hope in this life. It's good news. It's good news. Um, the next thing. And this is where we'll end. Peter tells us that not only does the resurrection of Jesus give us hope in life, but it also gives us hope in death. That because of the resurrection of Jesus, all of us who, all of us who know him as Savior, we can have hope in death. We'll reread part of this passage and keep reading. Here's what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, listen to this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I've already pointed out today that the disciples went from cowardly, fearing their lives, to courageous, ready to lay down their lives. You know why? Because after they saw Jesus alive again, they realized that death is not the end for those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's not the end. That those who know Christ, we can be hopeful in death for a simple reason, because Christ is stronger than death, and Christ has defeated death. And because he's stronger than death, he can give life to anyone who would call on him for salvation. And this is exactly what Peter's pointing us to. He says, for you that know Jesus in the room, that man, after you pass from this life to the next, you have an inheritance waiting on you. You have a reward waiting on you. And it will never go away. It's perfect. It's, it's undefiled. It's unfading. That God himself is keeping it for you. And he's giving you every single bit of faith you need to make it to this life so that you can get to the other side of death and receive that inheritance. How good is that? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I who know him can close our eyes in death, hopeful one day for what waits on us. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who has given us the victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior tonight, I want to give you the opportunity to make that decision right now. If you know Christ, but you feel stuck, you feel like you're at a dead end, you feel hopeless, I want you to pray as I pray in a moment, and I want you to ask God to do something in your life tonight. Ask God to remind you of who you are in Him, and ask God to be for you exactly what you need Him to be. Husbands and wives, pray with each other. Parents, pray for your kids. 
If you have a sin or addiction, ask God to break it and to strip it out of you. Whatever you need to pray tonight, man, you pray that. For those of us who need to know Jesus for the first time, I want to invite you to do that now. Would all of you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Let's pray together. If you're in the room and you need new life, you need hope for your life, you need a change of life, you want to be hopeful about death, God says if you'll believe what we've talked about tonight concerning Jesus, that he'll give you all of those things. There's no magic prayer that saves anyone, but I would just invite you to say something like this to God right now in your seat, just in the quietness of your heart. Say, God, I know I'm a sinful person, and I know my sin has separated me from you and separated me from the hope that you can offer me, the new life that you can offer me. But God, I believe that Jesus died for that sin. I believe that I can be forgiven by you tonight. And God, I'm asking you, forgive me of all my sin, past, present, and future. God, I'm asking you tonight to change me, to make me a new creation, to send my life in a different direction. Give me hope tonight. God, I'm asking you through Jesus, give me life. I believe that Jesus is alive today. He is stronger than death. And I believe because of that, I can have eternal life. God, I want to be hopeful about my death. God, so I'm asking you to do that for me. God, tonight in this place, save me, rescue me, forgive me, make me your son, make me your daughter. God, thank you for the new life I can have through Jesus. If you prayed that with me, God promises in his word that he'll start changing you right now before you ever leave this place that your eternal destiny will forever be different and that nothing that you face in this life or in death will ever separate you from his love that he's shown for you in Jesus Christ. God, for the rest of us here, I just pray for us, release us. Help us to live in our new identity as your son, your daughter. Help us to believe that we're new people. We don't have to live like the oldest anymore. Save marriages, restore relationships between um, husbands and wives, moms and, and daughters, dads and sons. God, I just pray you do something in this time in our lives, God, that would leave us forever different. Send us out of here, hopeful people. God, we trust you for that, and we pray all these things. In the name, the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, listen to me. We're going to close tonight by celebrating Jesus together. We're going to sing this anthem. I'm going to ask you to stand. And Matt, come lead us, bro.